continuing our sermon series, uh, I Heart the Bible. I love the Bible. Um, why we love our Bible. And if I were to ask you, how's your Bible reading going? You, my guess is that you would think I'm asking you about something that is personal and private. Sort of your alone time with, uh, with a book like this. And, uh, and you'd be right. That's probably what, if I asked you that question, that's probably what I was asking you. Um, but you, we, we both are making that assumption because it's the year 2019. Um, one of the things I want to think about today is that the Bible is not primarily, um, it, w- it was never primarily a tool to be used personally and privately. Uh, the, the Bible, I would argue, is primarily a communal book, both in its intent and its history and in its effect on us. So um, there's really been a shift in our day to, to consider this book as something that's just kind of for me, personal, private, devotionally. Um, and, and I think if we only see it that way, then we lose something. Remember, the idea of owning a Bible is a relatively new idea. The Christian church is, um, uh, you know, 2,000 years old, give or take, and about three quarters of the history of the Christian church, there was, there was not, there was no printed Bibles. I looked around my office this morning, I just kind of peeked, I just, 12 Bibles, just one, two, three, four, just, okay, I counted 12 just all around me, plus the ones I display that are just kind of for show, my, like, old family Bibles and stuff, 20. So I've got 20 Bibles, but most Christians who lived haven't had, um, you know, something bound like this. Uh, Gutenberg uh, printed a Bible, uh, the first one, 1455. Before that, they're all hand copied. And there were many of them in the, in the Middle Ages. They were, co- you know, professional copyists and bookmakers. Um, so there were Bibles to be bought, but they were terribly expensive. You can go to the store and buy a Bible less than an hour's wage is the cost of Bible. Uh, but back then it would be maybe a year's wage to purchase one of these. So unless you were some institution of learning, some uh, university, early university, uh, you, you wouldn't have had one. You would have had, it was, it, God's word was something that would have to be spoken out loud and listened to in, in the context of a community. Um, so, but even when Bibles were printed, the idea of having one that was um, your own would come much later. I mean, certainly one that was the size to have a. They sell backpack Bibles or thin line Bibles. These are just very portable things, and we just have to remember this is really just oh, really the last couple hundred years or less that you would have your own, and never mind one that was so portable. And then fast forward since. Uh, the invention of the iPhone in, in sort of a, a monumental moment in 2007 to be able to have a Bible on a device like this. And this, so then a year, you know, 2008, there's the version app, which is the most downloaded Bible app in the world. Um, the, the hundreds of thousands of downloads every month of this, um, of having God's word in that way. Think about this. This was the, I brought this Bible today. This is the one that I used when I primarily when I was a teenager, so through my high school years and into college, I used this particular Bible. But if I wanted to find something and I didn't know where it was, I'd have to use a concordance. 
So a concordance is just you know, a listing of all the words that are in the Bible and which verses they're in. But my concordance was this big, thick. You know, it's a, it's a huge book to find it. Now, I could search any word. I could actually tell my phone to search for me. Or I could just go in and I would search and I, would, I could find it in, in two seconds. It's the, the access is incredible. And I celebrate that. It's just, it's amazing. Um, but... So I think it's all, it's all very good. I'm not, I, this is the, the most fantastic thing that we can have God's word in such a way. But my point is that for hist, you know, historically, it's a much more communal book than we often experience it today. And some of that has to do with how, how easy our individual access to it is. Um, that's why it, this communal aspect is part of God's design. That's why small groups are so important. I mean, this is what we're doing here is important as we look at God's word together. But also, and, and George, thank you for your testimony, that, that we gather together in community to understand this word. And we need to know this because in God's word, as we, as we search it together in community, we know the fullness of life. We know uh, the fullness of what God has called us to. We know his heart more. And that is, our, um, that is our desire, to know the God who made us and to live a life uh, that is in line with how he, how he is calling us. And that's our, that's, that's our heart. So let us, let us pray as we, as we turn to God's word together this morning. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the access we have to it. But during this time, as we look into this one passage, Lord, we just pray that you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand how we might know the life that you've called us to and that we might know your word as you intended it. So keep us from error. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, to sort of exp- explore this a little bit, we're, we're turning to a verse in, in 1 Timothy. So, this is a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, and he was a, uh, a missionary and a church planter, and he's traveling around. And he wrote this letter to a young pastor, one of his companions, named Timothy. And at this time, Timothy, when, when Paul planted the church in Ephesus and he left, he, he left Timothy behind to provide some leadership for this young church. And it wasn't going, it wasn't going well. Uh, so he's, he's encouraging him and certain things that Timothy needed to address in his own life and in the life of this church. And the way I want to look at this this morning is there's two things here, there's two reasons why I love my Bible so much that jump out to me from this passage. And again, this is from um, Paul to Timothy. And the key verse is verse 16 says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. So I want to look at it in two parts. Watch your life and watch your doctrine. First of all, watch your life closely. I love my Bible because it propels me into the life that God has called me to. Look at verse 12 here. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. He said, look, Timothy, as you live your life for the Lord, you're going to live it as your life becomes an example to other people. Other people will see your life. Your life has a very important purpose. That as people see it, it becomes an example. 
And he says, Timothy, look, I know people are going to be critical of you. But don't judge yourself by the way, by, by your critics, by how your critics view you. Don't let your critics define who you are. And this is a good word for us. Because my guess is that in your life, there are critics. There are people who are critical of your life in one way or another. It could be a boss or a coworker, teacher. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children critical of you. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe your parents aren't even alive, but the way that they were critical of you in your life is still something that is a driving force in your life. And the message for us is don't let your critics define you. You let the God who made you, the God who saves you, that God is the God who will define your life. He said, so Timothy, you can let people look down on you because you're young. Don't do that. You're going to live the life that God called you to. Your life has a mission from God. And as you put your life in him, you put your faith in him, as you listen to his leading, you'll live on mission. If you listen to your critics all the time, one or two things is going to happen. You're either going to burn out. You're either going to try to please all your critics and live in such a way and live your life so perfect that nobody could ever criticize you. You will absolutely burn out. Just all the effort it takes to do that. Or you'll, hear, you'll listen to your critics and it will just be so defeating, you'll, you'll just quit. It's either uh, burn yourself out by people-pleasing or just um, giving in. And, and Paul, to young Timothy, he says, look, don't do that. Instead of letting these people look down on you, live your life as an example. And as you live it out, it just becomes this beautiful way to others. Trust God. You have to, you're, Timothy, you're going to have to answer to God, not to everyone else in your life. You have one person you need to answer to, the God of the universe. And when, when we can grasp that and see our lives in that way, it creates a beautiful, fruitful mission that we live out in every day. Uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, you know uh, my, this is, my church math is, goes like this. There's, a, there's a, exactly 168 hours in every week. And if you sleep approximately 48 of those hours, you're only awake for 120 hours a week. And of the 120 hours that you are awake, at most, for, for most of you, at most you would spend maybe 10 hours gathered together in church stuff. So come here on Sunday morning, maybe a couple hours here, uh, maybe at your small group for a couple hours. Maybe you're serving together at Corunum for a couple hours, meeting with a Christian friend to, to, for prayer and support, maybe a couple hours there. And usually 10 or less is typically um, what, what somebody would do. That leaves 110 hours that you're awake every single week, that you are not in church, doing churchy stuff with churchy people. You're out there. And as a church, we believe that both are important, the 10 hours that we do those things and the 110 hours that we're out there. These are both important times, but we know that God has called us to the 110. He's called us to that time when we are, um, we are scattered as the church, when we're not gathered together. And when we live our lives on mission, that's the front lines of your life, we call that, in the places where God has put you, your place of work, your home, uh, as... as if you're a parent or if you have good work to do or in a neighborhood, this is, this is all the place where God has called us. That's the place where we live our life 
as an example. And I love my Bible because it reminds me that I'm called to live a certain way of life. Now, now, Timothy was a pastor. And Paul here is saying, be an example to the believers because you're a, you're a church leader there in Ephesus. But, it's, but the call is not just to pastors, it's for everyone. Jesus said it to all his followers. He said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they might see your life. They might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When you live that life out there in the world, it's going gonna, it's gonna to point people to Jesus. This is not just for pastors, it's for everybody. So we can be encouraged by that. Or we can just be discouraged all the time by people who are critical of us. We choose to, to live this way of life. Here in five ways, he, gets, he says, set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Speech. The way that we use our words in our everyday lives can be different. It can demonstrate that we have a different view of the world. This morning, we recited together the Apostles' Creed. We said, I believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son. We believe a certain history of the world and what Jesus accomplished and what that means for the world. And we live in that world a different way. We have a different version of what the world can be. And we can show that with our speech. But I'm sure any one of us here could think of ways, even this week, where we perhaps didn't use our speech so carefully. Uh, I, was, I took some time off this week um, working on a writing project with some other pastors, some colleagues who I've been uh, learning with and studying with over the last uh, few years now. And we've grown very close together, and we were uh, staying together. And when you get a... The cool thing is, when you get... These are all guys, and there was eight of us in a house staying together this week. And it was, there's a great camaraderie, but because we love each other so much and we're uh, learning stuff together, we, um, we, we bust each other's chops. We, we make fun of each other, and we uh, just have a good time uh, poking fun at each other, and it's great. But then all of a sudden, you cross a line. You get a little too, little too personal, a little too true. And, and we say sorry, and, we, and I love you, and, and the other person says, no, no, it's fine. But the words are out there. They've, you've already, they've, they're, they're out there. And we've all done that. But our speech, because our speech is powerful, and it can be one of those things that show uh, an example to the world of what God's kingdom could be like. Our conduct, okay, our, our way of life. Second thing is, is it's... Um, you know, do my priorities in my life mark me as different? Does the way I handle conflict in my life uh, show this? Does, does the way I choose to gossip or not gossip and talk about other people, again, my words and my conduct, is this an example? The way that I love, set an example in, in the way you love. That we know as Christians, everybody, everybody is, I think everybody is pro-love. That we think the world should be a loving place and a better place and that more love would be better. But what it's, in Jesus, it's a specific kind of love. It is not cheap love or temporary love, but true, unconditional love. Costly love. We know that Jesus' love for us is expressed in him dying on the cross. That is a costly love. Set an example in our faith. You know, I want everything that I do to point to the fact that I trust God. 
The way that I deal with my fears and my anxieties and, and the troubles that I face, does it demonstrate faith? Um, set an example in purity. That Jesus was perfectly pure and holy, and I want to be like Jesus in the purity of my thoughts, and the purity of what I choose to fill my mind with, the purity and the example of my life. This is an amazing way of life that any one of us could live as we go out. Live as an example in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity. And we want that. But oh my goodness, that's quite a list. That's a little bit daunting. That's a... Uh, uh, so Paul telling Timothy, okay, I'm going to go. I'm not going to listen to my critics, but I'm going to go and I'm going to live this way. This is a, a very high calling. And I can even think of this week. I have not lived with perfect speech or conduct this week. There's people who have not lived with purity in their work or in their marriage or wherever it is. You know, if, if this challenge to Timothy were a challenge to me, I'd have to, I would absolutely have to change and, and yes, I love my Bible because it reminds me that I can live this way. Uh, but I also know that I need to change. How can I truly change? That brings us to our second thing. And again, in verse 16, so watch your life, but also watch your doctrine closely. Well, why is doctrine important? It's important because the things that I believe about myself and the things that I believe about God are going to shape the way I live. My mind will be transformed by what I believe, and that is going to help me to actually live a certain way. In here, in this context, it's going to help me grow. It's going to help me progress. Look at verse 15. So Paul says, Be diligent, Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. That by definition, if you're going to progress, it means you're not there yet. And yes, you're going to live this way of life. And yes, you, there are going to be those times when you fall short. But God is working something in you as his word shapes you to help you to grow, that you can actually live this way of life. So we're progressing along, and yet people will see me imperfect. And I'm not perfect now, but I'm growing and I'm changing. Paul says, hey, you're a young pastor, Timothy. You've got a long way to go, but keep at it. The Bible word for this process is sanctification. That's being made more holy, being made more like Jesus. And it's a process. And when, when God saves us, when he calls us to faith in him, we aren't just made new overnight, completely new. We are, then we are at a place where we, are, we have a new status as his child and forgiven and free, but then we're on this journey. And it's, it doesn't happen overnight. But the sanctification is something that God wants for all of us. Paul taught to the church in Thessalonica. He said, it's God, God's will that you be truly sanctified. Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be truly sanctified. And it's, it's watching our doctrine closely that transforms our mind, that's transforming our actions. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from God's word. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And this is the point I, I was making earlier, that the Bible is meant to be read publicly, not just as a, as a private, personal thing. Um, through the history of Scripture, again, from the time of Moses, when God gave the law, 
he commanded Moses, read this out loud to the people. And, and, and Moses went to the people and he read them the law. And he said, are you, you know, will you obey? And they said, we will do everything that's written there. That's, we will follow. And his, so um, his successor, his name was Joshua. And when they were getting ready to, to enter the land that God had given to them, he said he's reading publicly. The Bible shows us that he was publicly reading this. And he said, hey, who are you going to follow? He said, me in my house, we're going to follow the Lord. And they said, yes, we too, we will follow the Lord. It was in the context of it being read together as a community and a communal commitment to follow this way. Now, after the time of Joshua, as you read in your Bible, there's not a lot of mention of this public reading of Scripture. It just sort of fell away. And things got bad and they got worse. And we, for those of you who are here this summer, we were looking through the kings. And a lot of the kings just ignored God's word. And then we get to a king named Josiah. And they find God's word. It was actually, uh, they were cleaning up the temple and they find it. And he reads it and he just knows that they are not living it. And he then reads it publicly. And all the people turn back to it. It's, and that, um, after time, they drifted away again, and the, the people are in exile. They come back from exile, and the, the reforms of leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah included reading the scripture publicly, and, and uh, the, so that became part of their worship as God's people. And in the synagogues, they, they would read it out loud, and then there would be discussion about it. Even Jesus, when he started his ministry, he publicly reads scripture at a synagogue, and he says, hey, Everything written here is fulfilled in my, you're seeing it fulfilled in me. And Christians have done this for centuries. You know, Paul says, hey, don't stop this practice of reading it together and you know, this reading the scripture out loud together and discussing it together. And Christians have done that for centuries. Now, Christians, for many, most Christians for centuries didn't know how to read. It had to be read out loud to them. And again, they didn't have their little backpack Bible. So it, again, it was necessary to do that. And so, yeah, you can read your Bible by yourself, but it's hard. You get distracted. It's parts that are hard to understand. And we have community. We have, our, um, we have each other to keep ourselves focused and on track to know this and to keep each other sharp. That, that's why we... That's why we love our small groups, too. I heart, I heart small groups. I, I think they're great. because, and, and as George is saying, just, there's been years where he said, well, you know, there's other things I could do. But, you know, now I can see the value of this. My, my, my friend Lisa, who's here, she told her story about, you know, ten, not being in a group for 10 years and going back and saying, what have I been doing for the last 10 years? This is a beautiful community where we can actually do this. And, and you hear Paul saying, Timothy, how are you going to view yourself? Are you going to look at yourself as young and unqualified? And are you going to see that you can live your life in a, as an example, that you have a special calling? And it's reading God's word together and, and knowing it that, that reminds us that what we are called to do together. Therefore, small groups at our church are not about making friends. And if, if you have ever felt that, like, hey, come to a small group and, and get to know people and make friends, that's not what... that's. That's not what it is. Now, as we live together in this way, we do make friends. Some of our best friends, some of your best friends, maybe people in your group. 
But it's not primarily about getting to know people. It's, a, it's primarily about getting to know God more and to knowing our calling more and to helping one another on that journey. And if you want to grow in your faith, this is a place where you can do it. So my plea to you is to check out a group. And here's the beautiful benefit. Here's the beautiful result. We see this in, at the end of the verse. Watch your life. Again, called, God's called you on mission. Watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. Now, we, Timothy knew. He, Timothy can't save himself and uh, he couldn't save other people. He knew that Jesus was the Savior. But what Paul is saying here is that um, you experience God's salvation as we are diligent in these things. We experience that sanctifying work, the, the result of our, of, of, of our salvation in our lives. And it's for you and it's for your hearers. Now, in Ephesus, where Timothy was, there was bad teachers. They were teaching false things that were not in the Bible and they were adding things to what Jesus had done and, and they, these things were wrong. For us today, there's all kinds of teaching out there in the world, all kinds of ideas about how to live life and how to find happiness and joy and fulfillment in your life. But if we can focus on God's word, we find the life that is truly life. This is how, this is how Paul says it earlier in the letter. In chapter 1, he said, Here's a trustworthy saying. It deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As we watch our lives, as we watch our doctrine, as we, as we explore his word, we, people are saved. We experience God's salvation and it gives glory to God. May we be people who are devoted to God's word in community. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for us. During this time, um, if, you, if you feel like, you know what, I think I'm ready today. I want to check out, maybe check out a small group. There's a listing of some new groups or groups for, or the new groups in the bulletin, maybe one of those, uh, but maybe just want to find out one that might be a good fit. If you could fill out on the hello card, there's a place to check off. Um, yes, I, I'm interested in a small group. Just grab that. Just check it off. We'll be in touch with you, and we'd love to help you connect. So as we pray, I encourage you to take one of those cards and, and do that. Uh, let's pray. Father, oh, we love your word, but we love you, Lord, the author of it. And you're the author of life, and, and you've, you have called us to live our lives in a certain way. And we do confess, Lord, we fall short. Yet you are a God who forgives, and you are a God who transforms us. So we pray that as we, um, as, we, as we continue to pursue your heart, to pursue your way, Lord, that you would just shower your grace on us. Apart from your grace, we can do none of this. But by your grace, Lord, uh, we can do it all. Be glorified in that. We praise you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.